Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, Prayer Life Matters. It's a series on prayer, and we're joining churches all over Paramount to talk about prayer. Prayer moves the hand of God, so let's take our seat. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. So I was sharing with my son the other day. We were walking. Uh, we were actually at Disneyland, and uh, my son David pastors over in Gardena. And we were walking, and I was telling him a story, and he's just looking at me. He doesn't know whether to believe me or not. He's like, "Okay, Dad," and but he never told me that he didn't believe me. He's just he's just going with it. But I, I want to share it with you also. I, I received a call from the Olympic Committee. And they want me to participate in the coming Olympics and represent the United States in the mile run. And I'm like, okay, now you guys are joking. I'm being punked. <laughs> and so, because it's like there's no way that me at my age and time and as much ice cream as I eat, <laughs> and I'm going to be able to compete against world-class athletes in the mile race. That's four times around the track. And so, as a matter of fact, yesterday we went to the beach. My, my uh, youngest son says, Dad, come on, let's go run the beach. I'm like, all right, let's go. And so we're going, and, and he is, he's running backwards. And I'm, I mean, I'm going the best I can. And he's, come on, Dad, you're all right. You're, you're doing good. You're doing good. And he's just, he's just nothing. And... I ran half a mile. It was already four minutes. And I'm like, these guys run a mile in three minutes and 40 seconds. And I can't even do two laps in that time. And I'm like, there's no way. So I had to decline the offer. And it's a certain, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to represent your nation. There, there's millions of people counting on you. And I'm like, yeah, but I would let them down. <laughs> you know, can you imagine the, the Russians and the Germans looking at it? That guy, we're going to race against him? Well, we don't have to worry about the United States this year. <laughs> I'm like, these guys burn like three or 4,000 calories per training session. I eat three or 4,000 calories in ice cream a day. <laughs> And so I'm like, I, I'm just, I, it was just like, uh, no, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. And my son is looking like, he doesn't know whether to believe me or not. And I'm like, you know what? That's a great fantasy land, isn't it? That if the Olympic committee would call me, I, I would be overjoyed. And he goes, man, Dad, I didn't know whether to believe you or not because you made it sound so good. And I'm like, I know, but you know what? It, that's fantasy land, but how many know no, I, I mean, love the Olympics. Yeah, I love the Olympics. There's nothing like the thrill of victory and watching the other nations, the agony of defeat. <laughs> I tune in as much as I can so that Americans can win the gold, the silver, the bronze. But how many know the gold medal? They get to play the national anthem, and, and it's so exciting, you know. Uh, uh, I love our national anthem, and to watch these Young men and women competing, giving it their all because their whole life 
is focused on that one event. And knowing, them knowing that they're on the field, that, that they're not alone, that the nation is watching them and standing behind them and, and cheering them on. I was reading about Michael Phelps, you know, swimming. He burns 12,000 calories a day. One of the, he's one of the most physically demanding uh, training regiments around. His training routine and meal plan are an astonishing for someone who is only six foot four and weighs 165 pounds. In his peak training phases, Phelps swims a minimum 80,000 meters a week, which is nearly 50 miles, all for a race that's 100 meters or 200 meters long. He practices twice a day, sometimes uh, more if he's in training in, in, in altitude. Phelps trains for around five to six hours a day at six days a week. And I read that. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to compete in the Olympics. There's no, I love drumsticks. <laughs> I love carbs. I try to go on the keto diet, but the carbs are over there. They say, man, And I'm thinking, there's no way I am going to be able to discipline my life enough where these athletes, their whole entire lives are based on their one event so that they can win gold at that competition. How many know that you and I are in the Olympic Games this, this morning and our competition is in prayer? That as soon as you got saved, you entered the race. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you are preparing or not, you are in this race. As soon as you were born again, the life of the Son of Jesus, the, the, the Son of God Jesus came into your life and began to grow in, in you, the, the Holy Spirit. And you will either starve it uh, of that life or you will either nourish it. But the decision is yours. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. The Bible says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And so here Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and they're very familiar with the Olympics. They had built a huge stadium, and they hold the, the Olympics there, the, the, the runners, the marathons, everything was there in this huge stadium. And they would go in and they'd begin to cheer their athletes and they'd begin to cheer their country just like we do. And Paul here is saying run in a race, uh, actually referring to running in a stadium. He says you're not out in somewhere running the race. Uh, he says you're inside a stadium. When, when, when you begin to study that word in Bible dictionaries, he is talking about a stadium where people are watching you. Yeah. 
said, all lies are on you. And that word obtain, that you may obtain, means to win. And win means to catch or to seize. It literally means to come from behind. That you set your pace and, and that you're going and you're strategizing and you're contending that you may obtain and that you may win. So I have a, a clip here. The first one we're going to watch. Uh, and, and, and this is the, the, the article was actually said the most uh, um, unrealistic win in history. So they never thought that this country, this guy was ever going to win. So let's just watch it and then I'll, I'll break it down at the end here. So there you go. They're all ahead. Fighting, 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 fighting and nope. there they go. And here comes the guy and he wins the gold. They were never expecting him to win. He didn't look like he was going to win. But all he was doing was staying faithful on pace. All he was doing was doing what he trained for. All he was doing was saying, you know what? I see the finish line. I'm going to cross that finish line. Everybody else was fighting. Everybody else was pushing. Now, see, God didn't call us to be ahead of everybody else. God just called us to run our race and to finish. God didn't say to go out there and fight everybody so that you become popular, that everybody knows who you are. He said, that's not your call. He says, your call is just to get across that finish line. To make it. See, how many times have we seen people they get saved and they're fired up like uh, the, 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 all those three guys in the front. They're pushing everybody. Oh, man, we're doing good. We're doing good. The problem is they never established a prayer life and they fell. See, I don't get excited when newcomers are going, oh, Pastor, what can I do? I'm ready to take on the world. Pray. Pray first. Don't get involved in ministry. Don't go do nursery. Pray. The second one, the second video that we're going to watch. So that word obtain literally means to catch or to seize. And it literally means to come from behind to capture the victory. Oh, man. When everybody else gives up hope on you and then you're just going home. And you cross the finish line. So I'm going to look at the most exciting event in 2008 Olympics. And so it's a relay race. We are behind France. So that was the best come from behind victory that I could show. Is that they are pressing, they are pushing. All the years of training comes down to this one race. You can't prepare for it. You can't take notes now. It's too late. It's now. Do it all. Everything is in right now. In 1 Corinthians 9, 25, Paul continues, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And so that word, that Greek word, prize, comes from the word agonizomi. 
And that's a, a true Olympic word. It literally means, if you're taking notes, to contend for victory in the public games. So these are not public games that we're, I mean, sorry, these are not private games that we're involved in. These are public games that we're involved in. Because how many know everyone, as soon as you tell them you're a Christian, are watching you? How many know your family's watching you? How many ever heard, uh, you call yourself a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm saved by grace. I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint. Christian, saint, big difference. So it literally means to contend for victory in public games. Agonizomia, if, if you say it out loud like I'm trying to, I'm not Greek, I'm trying to say it. But you can hear our English word, agony. It's where we get the word agony from. It's the ABC, uh, a wide world of sports, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. And so this word literally means that when you're running this race, when you're fighting, that you are, uh, to, it means to strain every nerve to the uttermost in contention for victory. So we're not looking for a victory in a race per se. We're looking to get closer to God. It means that I am going to strain to get closer to God. God, I want all of you, Lord. That I'm going to get down prostate. This is the way they used to pray. They used to stretch out, God, I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more. I want to get closer to you, God. It means I'm straining in prayer. I'm contending. I, I, I want to, I, I, I'm agonizing. There's things that are going in my life. God, I need you more than, than ever before. I'm straining and I'm stretching out. God, I want to touch you. Is everybody getting this? It says, hey, Paul here's making, he's trying to show the importance of prayer, the importance of what we're involved in. This is not just church. How many know there's a lot of Christians that just play church? They just go to church. That's all they ever do. But here what it's talking about is that I'm going to strain every muscle in my body when I'm in prayer to get closer to Jesus. So the second part of the video, it shows that strain. They're stretching out for victory. So let's play video number two here, and I'll walk us through it. Well, there's the agony of defeat right there. Look how close this thing is. Jump through the door of opportunity. Y'all get that? A huge lunge. He's stretching out. Now watch from underneath. Stretching, stretching, and bam. Split second. Tenths of a second or hundreds of a second. So you saw the agony of defeat on the French, which is great. But you see the thrill of victory on the American. And how many know that's what it's all about? Here we see it, and they're straining it for contention to win. 
And how many know that's what we're called to do? We're Olympians. See, Olympians push their bodies to the breaking point. They push, they use every energy, every ounce of energy. Oftentimes, as soon as they cross the finish line, a lot of them just collapse. They're done. They're exhausted. They're spent. Agonizomia originates from the Greek word or verb ego, which means to toil with force or violence. See, prayer is not this gentle thing. Oh, Lord, we thank you. You're such a good God. No. Prayer. Here the Bible is talking about it's a toil with a force or violence. See, our generation, this generation we're in now, it's very meek and very sissified. That, that uh, we don't want to offend nobody. But how many know prayer is offensive? Prayer digs down. Prayer is a fight. Prayer is a battle. I'm going to show you why in just a second, but I want to tell you, when you read the book of Acts, chapter 2, how many know there's only one time that God spoke in a still small voice to a prophet? And we get that, oh, God, we don't have to, we don't have to shout, we don't have to get loud, we don't have, in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Ghost came down, he was loud. He was evident. Cloven tongues of the fire on their heads. The building began to shake. And they began to speak in tongues. They walk on the streets. They're speaking in tongues. Everyone else is saying, these men are drunk. These men are drunk. Peter begins to preach the gospel. What must I do to be saved? I want what they have. See, God's not looking for little, the, the, the little uh, Christians that are just uh, uh, church goers on Sunday. He's looking for people that will toil with a force uh, and with violence uh, against the powers of darkness. He wants us to strain. Some lexicons and some Bible dictionaries, when they're referencing this scripture, Look at the Olympics in, in, in boxing and wrestling matches uh, to describe the intense competition of prayer. Prayer is not this meek, mild thing. When you're praying, there are spiritual forces clashing. Uh, it's good against evil. Yes, God has the victory, but there's demon powers attacking the people of God. And it is our violent prayers uh, that tear down the walls of hell. Paul said that the Olympians did it to receive a wreath that wilts. Uh, but how I many know we do it for a wreath uh, that is imperishable? We're doing it for a crown uh, that when we get in front of Jesus, uh, that we say, God, you paid it all, Lord. Uh, Lord, you gave your life on count. God, here's my wreath. Uh, here's everything I've ever I'm laying at your, I'm not worthy of it. But I, 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 I want to have something to give to Jesus uh, that, and that shows my faithfulness that shows that I fought the fight, that I contended, that I agonized, that I toiled. Amen. Prayer matters this morning. Amen. Why? Because we are in a race and we are being watched. Kind of scary, isn't it? There's people in heaven watching us. Even when no one else does. 
Well, I don't, I don't believe all that. Well, you know, thank God for the Bible. Yes. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what I say. I, I, don't, I ain't got nothing to say. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and move, we're in big trouble. Yes. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is here right now, and he is moving. Prayer matters because we're being watched. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, you're being watched. These are witnesses. These are judges that when we stand before God, all our work is going to be judged. Then he goes on in Hebrews 12, 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. That term striving against is a term, is our term for agonizomi. And so here Paul is changing gears here from running a race to combat. He's saying that we should approach our fight against sin with the same tenacity with which a, an Olympic wrestler faces his opponent. He says, that's the tenacity that when he gets ready to wrestle. How many like that? Hey, brother. Praise God. We're getting ready. We're going to fight. <laughs> no. They go in with this chiseled look. It's like, we're going to get it all, buddy. We are going to fight. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to win. I'm here to beat you. And that's the tenacity you have to, you and I have to have that when we're in prayer, I'm here to defeat you, devil. You're all, now, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, listen, listen. He's already defeated. The thing is, we have to convince most Christians to believe that, to realize he's already defeated. He's already, when Jesus died on the Calvary, he defeated death and sin. We just have to go through our prayers, believe. Devil, you're already defeated. You are a liar. You're not cheating my family anymore. You're not cheating me anymore. Somewhere you're going to have to rise up and say, get thee behind me, Satan. With some boldness and some authority. Not, get thee behind me, Satan. No, it's get thee behind me, Satan. There needs to be some boldness, some authority, some passion in your life. You don't have to get loud like me, but just get passionate about what you're saying. Believe what you're saying. How many know most Christians don't believe what they're saying? That's how come they're not seeing things in their life and, in, and God moving in their life. They just don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, the devil doesn't believe it. Oh, y'all with me? See, if you don't believe it, I'm going to get back to it. Man, there's so much here. I, I, I'm, you need some, we need some tenacity. We should be straining every nerve to the uttermost of our contention for victory over the enemy. You know, one day the Bible said, we're going to look at him and says, this is the guy that gave me so much trouble? That? See, prayer matters this morning, church. Why? 
Because the enemy is, okay, I want you to listen to this. The enemy is attacking you and I with Olympic caliber force. He trains every day. Can I tell you that these, these demons are not new convert demons? They didn't just all of a sudden get bad and all of a sudden they came. No, these demons have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And what they've been doing as they're defeating Christians, as they're defeating people, what they're doing is they're fine-tuning their lies. They're fine-tuning their deceptions. They're fine-tuning their traps and their plots. And so when they come against you, they are well-trained. They know what man has fallen for before. There's nothing different. It's the same thing, but well-refined. We read about uh, uh, Samson and Delilah, and yet men at work fall for Delilah. Let me just throw it out. Men, how many know women fall for Delilah? Because <laughs> it goes both ways. There's hoochie men and women out there. They want to steal your soul. See, they're fine-tuning their weaponry against the people of God. In Ephesians, Paul speaks about this in 6.12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, uh, against spiritual hosts uh, of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, so he's talking about principalities. He's talking about rulers in high places for Satan. That plot. He's talking about world rulers and the demon forces. He's talking about delegated influence. That they begin to influence people to come against you. Oh, did you, did you, I, I want to make sure everyone heard that. So when someone's attacking you at work, it's not them. It's a, de a demon force that's using their influence over them to come against you. So all you do is you begin to pray, God, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you will bless them and help them. And, God, I bind that wicked spirit that's using their influence over them to come against me. In the name of Jesus, I cast it down right now. See, some of y'all just need to know who you're fighting. You're not fighting your backslidden spouse. You're, dying. you're fighting a demon spirit that wants to discourage you to quit. Oh, man, is this making sense this morning? So these are influences uh, that, that, that plot and, 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 and bring depravity and, and delegated influence and all this thing, wickedness. How silly of Christians to think that they can survive this race by being weekend warriors. That they only work out here and there. That once in a while they'll They'll pray for their meal. Once in a while, they'll, they'll, they'll decide to come to Saturday morning prayer. Once in a while, they'll wake up and, and say, you know what, I, I, I'm going through something, I, I'll just pray today. 
When you look at your opposition and their world train, come on, baby, bring it on. We're ready to tear you down. And you come over here, oh, Lord. I heard the, the preacher on TV that I can do it. I can have success. Oh, he loves that. He loves, can, can I say it? Can I say it? Can I be real? Can I, can I call it? He loves sissified Christians. That have no tenacity, don't know how to fight, don't realize who they're fighting. How crazy it would be, church, if I decided to take on a world-class wrestler by taking a class of jiu-jitsu 30 years ago. I'm ready. Well, come on. I can take you on. No. I give him seconds. I'm going to be all pretzel out. How silly it is to think that we can take on a world-class sprinter, world-class swimmer, and eat and do whatever we want to all day long. And yet we never realize that that's the same thing that's happening in the spiritual realm. How you live your day is how you enter into the spiritual realm. See, prayer matters. Why? Because your very soul depends on it. Your kids depend on it. Your family depends on it. And yet we realize that. And yes, we find it prayer so insignificant. We find it so time consuming. How many know most of us are too busy throughout the day to take the time to pray? Can we be real? Can we be real? See, we find, we don't find time to pray, and yet, at the same time, the devil is plotting against you, the devil is plotting against your children, the devil is plotting against your finances, the devil is plotting against areas of your life. And the only way to combat that is through prayer. There's no other way. Well, I go to praise chapel. Yeah, devil says, oh yeah, keep saying that. I got some of the best preaching around. That's fine. Can I tell you, nothing is more important than prayer. But I've been in church 20 years, so. The Pharisees were in church all their lives, and they knew scripture, and yet they're the ones that crucified Jesus. Because all they did was use vain repetition, repeating the same prayer so that people could hear them. Lord, I'm glad I'm not like them. Instead of saying, God, I am messed up and I need you, Lord. Oh, God, help me to draw closer to you. See, church, this morning, prayer matters. Why? Because Jesus did it and received power from on high. In Matthew chapter 17, here Jesus is at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John had just seen Jesus transformed. And they saw his glory, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Now he's back to normal. Now he's back to Jesus, just like you and I. And in verse 14, and when they had come down, 
had came to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So many things there. But I want to focus on a couple things. There are things happening in your life right now that will not change unless you begin to value prayer. Unless you begin to contend for that change. Here this man comes, uh, uh, came uh, uh, for prayer for his son and the disciples could not cast it out. Why? Because they didn't have a prayer life. Well, how do you know, Pastor? I'm going to show you in a minute. They were, we know they weren't fasting. They always had food with them. <laughs> and something I realized in life, how many know you can't hold on to someone else's coattails forever? Yeah. Somewhere those coattails are going to be cut off and you're going to have to contend for yourself. Somewhere you're going to have to find a relationship with Jesus on your own. See, no prayer life, no fasting. That, hey, can I tell you you, you, you can't make it without a relationship with Jesus. You've got to draw close to him. Breakthrough, revival, change life, blessing, uh, entering in. They all come through prayer. Listen to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 37 and 38. He says, then he came and found them asleep. So this is Jesus just asked him to go into the garden. He says, I want you guys to pray with me. He says, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm entering my hour of temptation. Can you guys pray with me? So Jesus went a little bit further. And he comes back and he found them sleeping and, and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? It says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many times, especially those of us that have been here around for many years, you see the guy from the first race that I showed, they're up in the forefront, they look good, and all of a sudden they crash land. Why? Because of temptation. They never built up their spirit. They never contended, God, give me the strength Lead me not into what? Temptation. It's the Lord's prayer. He says that. He structures it like that because it's something that you and I need to fight. Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me what? From the evil one. It's in there. He said, this is a daily thing that you and I, is everybody with me? This is, see, but there's, get ready for that picture. But the problem is, is that we don't find prayer important and things begin to happen. So here's a picture of my friends, uh, uh, one of the fields. And so they have, I can't remember how many thousands of acres of, uh, they usually grow melons. 
And so what happened is somehow this particular portion of field, they didn't put it on the schedule to get it weeded one week. So all this is one week of weeds. That's how fast the weeds grew. Can I tell you, that's the spiritual realm of people's lives that don't pray. Because I want to tell you, your soil is very fertile. When you got saved, your soil was very fertile, and God wanted to fill it with seeds from heaven. Uh, but when you're not praying, uh, you're not fighting, you're not contending, uh, they're overgrown by weeds. What's the Bible say? That he comes back with seven demons worse than what? The first? It's all biblical. It's not me making up stuff, man. This is biblical stuff. It's that when you don't pray, you're opening yourself for attack. When you pray, let the attacks come. You have something to overcome. Amen. Pastor Isaac yesterday reminded me as we were in prayer here Saturday morning that, about the Moravians. Uh, these are the Moravians from Germany that it, back in 1727, they started a around-the-clock prayer meeting. Woo, can you imagine praying 24-7? Woo-wee. I remember back in, when Linda and I were disciples in Yuma, that we would do that every few months. We would have a weekend of continual prayer. And I want to tell you, that church grew from when we were there 400 to over 800 people when we left, got launched out. But why? Because we would have Friday, Saturday, and to Sunday morning, we would have two-hour shifts of prayer all night long. And God moves through prayer. It's the only thing that moves God. Not, oh, help me, I need, I'm in trouble. No, who are you? But the Moravian church started for 100 years around the clock. And within 65 years, uh, by 1791, they had over 300 missionaries scattered around the world. 65 years. 300 missionaries. Uh, and one of those uh, that got saved through their ministry was John Wesley. That started the Big Wash Revival, and then the, the revivals began to spread out from there in England. Prayer matters. Why? Because there's no other way to win this world for Jesus. He has chosen you and I to win the world with the gospel. Never look in the mirror and say, who are you? You're the son or daughter of God. He chose you to win this, 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 this battle, this war uh, 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 for the gospel. And so I want to, this morning, I just want to get at least 300 people to become prayer warriors. To begin to pray. God's looking. God, God's, God's looking for people that will make a commitment. In Judges chapter 7, here God has called Gideon. He said, I want you to take the whole nation. Let's go fight. We're going to go fight. And so as they're going, God says, you know what? There's too many people. A lot of them don't even want to be here. They don't even want to fight. And so he gave them a test. And so in Judges uh, 7, 5, so he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, uh, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. 
and the number of those who laughed, putting their mouth, their hand to their mouth was 300 men, and all the rest went home. And so there's a couple of truths if I could have the, the worship team begin to come up. But here's the reason. These were supposed to be warriors. They had their weapons in their hand. But when you get down to drink water, they were on their knees. They had to put their weapons down to begin to lap up because they were thirsty. They were thirsty. They're, they're over here like dogs licking it and they're putting up the water. But he said there was 300 that knelt down. They had their weapon in their hand. They were looking out for the enemy. Because not only are they fighting for themselves, they're also fighting for their comrades. And they would bring the water up to their mouth, vigilantly looking out, keeping an eye, ready to stand up and fight. And that's what God is looking for this morning. He's looking for people that are ready to fight the fight for your soul, for your family, for your finances, for your marriage. What kind of revival will we have, church, if we could have 300 prayer warriors? What would happen to Paramount, the city of Los Angeles, that had a prophecy a hundred years ago from Azusa Street that another revival was going to come to the city? Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.